Good morning. How's everybody doing? You guys have a happy Thanksgiving? Yeah. Um, how many of you, like me, have to go to like two or three different houses on Thanksgiving just to make sure that the whole family's happy? Yeah, that's my story. We, we actually, I had like a like Noche Buena wannabe Thanksgiving first at my wife's grandma's house. And there they serve like pork and, and beans and frijoles and all this crazy uh, Cuban stuff. And, and then I went to my mom's house and, um, you know, we did the turkey thing, but we couldn't do one turkey. We had to do three turkeys, right? And then just to like make sure we weren't letting our... Our people down, there was like some pork too. And then there was beans and rice and platanos. I mean, and then the desserts were like ridiculous, ridiculous desserts. I mean, it was crazy. Um, how many of you have like a traditional Thanksgiving? You know, like turkey, mashed potato, like green bean casserole, cranberry sauce from the can. See, I have no idea how cranberry sauce from the can became a traditional Thanksgiving meal. I, I doubt that the pilgrims and the Indians shopped at Walmart, right? But... Somehow, you know, uh, it's made the list of traditional Thanksgiving meals. And, and the truth is this, Thanksgiving is about stuffing your face and cooking, right? And, and I love to cook. I love to, I love actually, not only do I like to cook as much as I like the look on people's faces when I cook something for them and they eat it. Like, I, I think I get more joy out of that than the entire process is just seeing the way people look after they eat like a steak that I cooked or, or some rice or some potatoes that I made. And so occasionally I'll invite friends over my house and, and I'll cook for them and I'll just watch them to see how they're going to react when they put my food in their mouth. And, and not too long ago, I had some friends over for dinner and I, I actually, uh, you know, when I want to make sure I, I really impress them, I make some churracos. So if I ever invite you to my house, I don't make churracos. I don't like you that much, right? <laughs> And so I invite them over. I go to this Argentinian butcher shop that, that I like to visit. And I went there. I, I bought the steaks. And then I went home and I put uh, um, olive oil, salt and pepper. And i got to stop there because then I'll have to kill all of you if I tell you my secret ingredient. And, uh, and so I let it simmer there for a while. And, and here's where the story gets interesting. Um, I use my grill a lot. And like most people, I keep the grill in the backyard. And so my grill has issues. One of the issues that my girl has is that that little knob that you turn to ignite it doesn't work. It stopped working like a month after I got it. And so the way that I turn on my grill is I turn on the gas and then I get matches and I try to light the thing up. And so um, my wife always screams at me because I, I like for it to go boom every time, you know, when it lights up. And so I'll strike the match and it goes boom. And my boys are watching like through the, the sliding glass door, you know, and then my wife's like, honey, don't do that. Da -da -da -da. To, to which I respond, get off my back, woman. No, I don't. I think it, but I'd never say anything like that to my wife. And, um, and so on this particular day, I, I get my steaks that had been like soaking in this like delicious stuff. And, and I walk outside with my matches and I, I turn the gas on and I grab my matches and, and I strike the first one and I'm striking and striking it and it's not turning on. And so I throw it in the fire and, or in the, in the thing and it's not lit. And so I grab another match and I begin to strike it. And the thing doesn't light up. And all the while, gas is still coming out of, of this barbecue. And so I'm on the third one, right? And, and I'm going to light this thing up. And, and as I strike it with the first spark, this huge ball of fire just goes boof, right? And the, the barbecue began to shake. I mean, it was super loud. My wife was in the house and she starts screaming, Mark, are you okay? What did you do? And, and I don't know if she talks like that, but at least that's the way I hear it. And... Uh, and she's like, 
And I'm like, I'm okay, stop overreacting. And I'm saying that, but I'm not really sure what happened. And I'm looking around and nothing's on fire. Trees aren't on fire. House is not on fire. And I'm, but I smell burnt. I smell something that's burnt. And I'm, I'm like, what is that? What is that? And what I didn't realize is that I had burned the nose hairs, like the hairs inside of my nose. All right. Not only had I burned the hair inside of my nose, my entire right arm, no hair. All the hair was gone. My eyelashes, and people say that I got nice eyelashes. I got long eyelashes, but they were like half the size. Part of my eyebrow had burned off. Pieces of my hair was a little longer, had burned off. Even my chin hock got a little singed. And uh, as dumb as that could be, and, and as right as my wife was, you know, we do stuff like this all the time. When we decide to live life our own way. See, even though um, I would get slightly annoyed when my wife would nag me about the barbecue and, and I would tell her sometimes, honey, I'm a grown man. You know, I know what I'm doing. When was the last time you grilled some steaks? She was right. And I was just being arrogant. You know, I, I wasn't listening to what she was telling me. And, and you've probably never singed your nose hairs. But you make decisions all of the time. When you're not listening to the advice that maybe somebody is giving you. Or maybe you're living like an arrogant person. Regardless of the cost. There's decisions that you're making right now in your life. And you're completely disregarding the impact that it will have on your family. The impact that it will have on your finances. On your future. On your children's life. On the life of maybe the person that you'll marry one day. Living your life completely disregarding pain. And the cost and the outcome of your decisions. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. As we take an in-depth look at the life of Samson. See, Samson was a, a, a person who from his birth, his birth was announced to his mom by the angel of the Lord. His parents were actually instructed to raise him as a Nazarite. And, and what does that mean? Pastor John talked about it a little bit last week. That means that no razor was ever to touch his head, so his hair was to be long. And that he could not drink wine or even be near grapes or raisins. And that he was not supposed to touch a dead body. And what does all this mean? What this means is that God had a special plan for Samson. So special that he told his parents, this child needs to be set apart from birth for God's work. See, and his parents raised him in a godly home. They raised him to be a Nazarite. They taught him the Torah. They prepared him. To go and become the man that God wanted him to be. However, Samson decided to do things his own way. He was a man that was dedicated to God by his parents. However, we learn that he is a man that showed no devotion to God. Samson was a man that has never seen worshiping God, offering sacrifices to God. And one of the only times that the Bible records him talking to God is a time when he's arguing with God and, and screaming at God. So today we're going to take a look at chapter 14 of Judges and, and let's check out how Samson's public life begins. Let's pick it up. Judges 14, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all of the people that you must go and get a wife 
from the uncircumcised Philistines. And Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me. If you'd stop there and give me your attention. Another translation says, she looks good to me. If we would be translating it now, we'd say she's hot. She looks good. The first question that we need to ask ourselves today is, what was Samson doing in Timnah for the first place? This was his first mistake. See, he had wandered away into enemy territory. And obviously, he wasn't on a spiritual journey or a military reconnaissance expedition. He was checking out the ladies. He was walking around flexing his muscles just like this guy right here. All right? You can, you can take that off. He was walking around telling the ladies, look at me, look how good I look, look how strong I am. Come, touch my muscles. See, he wasn't there trying to do the will of God. See, hearing that, that your older son wants to get married, your son that's of age to get married, tells you, hey, I'm going to marry someone. That's a cause for great joy. Parents look forward to the day that their child comes and says, I am going to get married. And when Samson tells his parents, I'm going to get married, they're, they're like, oh, great. Who is she? Is it Rebecca from next door? I mean, is it someone from, from our town? Who is the good Jewish girl that you're going to marry? He's like, oh, she's not Jewish. She's pagan. Not only is she pagan, she doesn't believe in God. And you can just imagine Samson's parents freaking out, saying, you can't marry her. You've been called by God to lead Israel. You've been called by God to free us from the Philistines, not marry them. See, the same way that I refused to listen to my wife when she warned me, you're going to burn yourself, you're going to burn the house down, you're going to get hurt. And same thing that, that Samson's parents are trying to do. They're trying to warn him. They're saying, no, you can't marry this woman. Nothing good can come from this relationship. See, why is it that it's so easy for people to see when we're about to make a mistake? I mean, seriously, when you're about to make a dumb decision, usually people walk up to you, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Or, you know, you know when I did that, this is what happened. And parents tell their kids all the time, you know, uh, when I was your age, I, I made that decision and I regret it. And, and then most of the time kids are saying, you know what, let me make my own mistakes. You know, get out of my life. Stop butting into my life. There's people around us that are saying, hey, don't, don't do that. Don't go there. You're going to get hurt. And most of the time we're just saying, you know, like me, you know, we're striking matches and there's gas coming out of the grill and we disregard, completely disregard what someone that cares about us is telling us. A few years ago, I approached one of the moms of, of the kids that comes to our youth group. I noticed that the kid had been changing, becoming rebellious, not paying attention, causing trouble. And, 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 and I approached the mom and I'm like, hey, what's, what's going on with, with your kid? Is everything okay? You know, and I explained what was going on. And she was like, you know, in her car in the parking lot. And, and she, instead of saying... Oh, pastor, this is what's going on. Can you help us? Can you pray? She completely freaked out. She started yelling at me. How can you be doing this? I know it sounds like my wife. It wasn't my wife. Um, how can you be screaming? I mean, treating my kid this way. Everyone's always picking on him. Everyone always says that he's the problem. And, and she took the kid and the kid stopped coming regularly to the youth ministry. And now this kid is super, super far from God. And all I was trying to do was say, hey, is there any way that I can help you out? See, sometimes as Christians, we get into trouble and things happen in our life and, and our excuse is that, oh, we're just waiting on God to do something. And yet, help comes. 
People that care about us come alongside us and they're like, hey, you know, how can I pray for you? Is there any way that I can help you? And your excuse is, no, I'm just waiting on God or, or I just put it in God's hands. The first villain in your outline today is this, is that God uses people to speak to us. God uses people. You may be asking God today for help. You may be praying to God and God is trying to answer your prayers by placing people in your life to help you, by putting people in your life to guide you. And you're just rejecting it. The same way that Samson didn't listen to his parents. You know why Samson didn't want, Samson's parents didn't want him to marry this Philistine woman? It's because they knew the word of God. They knew what the Torah said about marrying people that did not believe in God, that, that worship false idols. Second Corinthians explains it to us this way. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what does fellowship, and what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Satan? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And this is what Samson's parents were trying to tell him. And let's continue reading. Let's continue reading and, and let's see. Not only does Samson refuse to listen to his parents, but there's a bunch of other crazy things that he does. Let's jump back into the text. It says this, So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyard of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart, as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hands. But he did not tell his father and his mother what he had done. If you stop there and give me your attention, and that, that's kind of weird. Why, why didn't Samson tell his parents what he would have done, what he did? See, if I would have ripped a lion apart with my own hand, I would have grabbed my, my camera and been like... You know, I would have been taking pictures next to this lion. I would have made sure that everybody knew what I was up to. I would have grabbed my parents and dragged them to the scene of the battle and said, look what I did. And then he came at me and I ripped his head off. And, and that I would have told my parents exactly what I did. And here's the reason why he didn't tell them is because Samson had no business inside of a vineyard. His Nazarite vow forbade him. From going and being around grapes and drinking wine or eating grapes or even eating raisins. And yet, he was hanging out in that vineyard. And he knew that his parents would not be happy about that. God probably actually sent the lion to chase him out of that vineyard. But Samson's biggest issue is this. is not that he was hanging out in the vineyard. is that he was playing with God. Samson thought that he was invincible. He thought that the same way that he could rip things apart beat people up and control every situation in his life, that he could do the same thing to get away with his disobedience and his sin. You see, after the marriage has been arranged, Samson goes back to his hometown and, and later returns to this area of Timnah. And on his way back, he doesn't go running to the arms of, of his future bride. He goes back to the vineyard. Some scholars believe that he was actually eating the grapes and even drinking wine. See, because maybe the first time when, when he first spotted the Philistine women, in his first trip to Timnah, he saw the vineyard and, and was attracted to it. Or maybe he, he thought, man, and he hung out. But man, I can't eat any of this because 
because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my strength or, or God's going to get uh, mad at me. But little by little, he began to open the door and get comfortable in that situation. Not only does he return to the vineyard, but he returns to the scene of the battle with that lion. And, and he's looking at it, and I'm sure he was kissing his biceps and saying, Ha, ah, you were no match for me, lion. And, and then he notices that, that there's some bees that had built a, a, a hive inside of this, this lion, and he, he grabs the honey and eats it, once again breaking his vow. He was not supposed to touch anything that was dead. And he touches it. And not only does he defile himself, but then he offers that honey to his parents as well and, and defiles them to bringing the sin, bringing the disobedience to his home. And how many times does that happen? See, your sin, your disobedience doesn't just affect you. And that's this concept that many people have. It's my life. I, I'm, doing, I'm not hurting anybody. You are. Your disobedience and your lack of obedience to God is not only affecting you, but it's affecting the people that are around you, the people that live with you, the people that are in your house. See, after he leaves the, the vineyard and gives this honey to his parents, he actually throws a humongous bachelor party, a drunken bachelor party. This man that's not supposed to be around wine, that's not supposed to drink wine, now throws a drunken bachelor open bar party. And we know that this was a bad party because none of his friends from Israel at this party. And we know this because he didn't have a wedding party. They had to pick 30 random Philistines to be his, we his, his wedding partners. And so he, um, he places a bet with them, you know, because, you know, a real godly man now placing bets, you know, after he's had a couple of drinks. And, um, and he says this to them. He tells them this riddle. And he says, if you can figure out the riddle, I'm going to give you these real elegant clothes, like an Armani suit. All right, if you figure it out, within the seven days of this crazy party. And as the days go by, these guys can't figure out the riddle. And so, you know, his wedding party, you know, is usually the closest friends that somebody has, right? They go up to his future wife and they say, look, we can't figure out this riddle. We can't pay this debt. If you don't tell us what it is, we're going to kill you and we're going to kill your family. I mean, these were the people that were showing up at this wedding. And so finally, of course, she... She gets Samson to tell her. She tells these men. They win the bet. Samson's super mad because now his wife, his future wife, has deceived him. So he goes and kills 30 men, takes their clothes and pays off his debt and just rushes off. Doesn't even consummate his marriage. This guy's a train wreck. And the reason that all of this is happening to him is because he's living in disobedience. He's not listening to God. He's not listening to godly advice. He's breaking his Nazarite vow by coming into contact with grapes, with dead bodies. And one of the only things he hadn't done was cut his hair. And those of you that know the story know that that eventually happens as well. And the reason that all this is happening is because, once again, he's playing around with God. His entire life, he's been dancing on this fine line, asking the question, how close can I get to breaking my vow without actually breaking it? How close can I get to sin without actually sinning? How close can I get to disaster without actually destroying my life and destroying the life of the people that are around him? See, in this crazy thing, as crazy as it may sound to some of you, and you're thinking, man, Samson, this guy was a jerk. A lot of us live our lives the very same way. Playing with God. Asking questions. You know, how close can I get to like flirting with someone before ruining my marriage? How close can I get to losing my job without actually losing it? How close can I get 
to like getting kicked out of my school without actually getting kicked out. See, on a couple of occasions, I've talked to people that have lost their job and and, and recently, somebody's telling me they lost their job, and, and I'm like, oh, is it because of the economy? You know, a lot of people losing their jobs, and I'm like, well, I'm so sorry. How can, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? Oh, pray for my boss so that he finds God. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, like, what's going on? He's like, yeah, you know, I mean, how did you lose your job? And he's like jumping around in stories like, well, the thing is that I stole something from my job. And I look at him, and, and you want me to pray for your boss? I need to pray for you so that you stop being a... Uh, 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 a thief, so that you stop living a lie. You're the one that needs prayer. You got what you deserved. You see, that's how people live their life. Dancing on the fine line, living your life like Samson. Saying, no, it's never going to happen to me. I'm never going to get caught. It's not that bad. How long are you going to keep playing with the matches before you like burn your house down? Or you singe all the hair on your body. Or you hurt somebody else. The other day, my son Joshi somehow managed to grab a knife from my kitchen. Alright? And this kid is running around my house, this two-year-old kid running around my house with a knife in his hand. You could just imagine what some of the women are thinking in the room. My wife almost passes out as she sees this two-year-old running around with a sharp knife in his hand. And I'm like... Joshi, what are you doing? Stop doing that. And he looks at me and starts laughing and goes, ha, 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 I'm a pirate. And he continues running around the house. It's okay, Poppy. I'm a pirate. And as crazy as it may sound, some of you are thinking, Mark, you're a terrible dad. How could you let your kid run around with a knife? See, if you're wondering that, it's not true. I do not let my kids run around with knives. They're just like real pirates. You know, they're little ninjas. They do the craziest things. I'm like, how did you get all the way up there? And... and and here's as dangerous as that can be, as potentially deadly as it can be for a two-year-old to run around with a knife. That's the same way that we live our lives when we decide to disobey God and do, do whatever we want whenever we want and think that there is no consequence. I thank God that my son didn't get hurt. He didn't hurt his brother or anyone else or, or cut my arm off as I was trying to take a knife from his hand. And we could live our lives that way, like a two-year-old running around with a sharp knife. Or we could decide to live the life that God designed for us to live. I said that Samson was from birth called by God to be separate for his will. And you know what? As God's children, each and every one of us have been set apart by God. First Peter 1 says this, You must be holy because I am holy. God is saying, you must be holy, for I am holy. And what does the word holy mean? It's a, it's a filling in your outline. It means to be set apart. So you and I have been called by God to live lives that are devoted to Him. To live lives that are worthy of the title that a lot of us, and probably every single person in this room, calls themselves a Christian. Calling yourself a Christian is a big deal. It's not just something you fill out on a survey or on a job lap application or, or the status that you give yourself on Facebook on your profile. Calling yourself a Christian means I am like Jesus. I am someone who has been set apart for God. I am someone that is trying to live a holy life. And how can we live holy lives? The first thing that we need to do is we need to allow God to lead us. We need to allow the Lord to guide our lives. 
You see, when we decide to follow Jesus, we're taking on this journey. And, and it's not easy. And there's no way that we're going to achieve any type of true joy or true success that lasts if we don't allow God to lead us. Proverbs says this, With all your heart you must trust the Lord and not your own judgment. Always let Him lead you and He will clear the road for you to follow. And I know that it sounds easy, allow God to lead you. Yeah, you know, I'm going I'm to do that. It's not easy and it's tough. And there's times that maybe you want to jump off that path or times when you just want to take a time out and start doing whatever it is that you were doing before. It's not easy. And that's why you need to do number two. You need to surround yourself with God-fearing people. You need to surround yourself with God-fearing people. And the problem is that most of the time, we don't want God-fearing people around us. We don't want people that are going to tell us the truth. We want people that tell us what we want to hear. We want people that tell us stuff that feels good. I was going on a date on Monday with my wife and she's getting dressed. I'm sitting on the couch watching TV. She walks out of the room wearing a dress and holding another dress in her hand. She's walking towards me. I'm like, babe, that's never going to fit me. Okay? I think it's inappropriate for me to wear a dress. Right? And she's like, ha, ha, ha. You know, kind of like some of you just did. And, uh, and she goes, do you like this one or do you like that one? And see, guys, that's a trick question. All right? You're never going to get it right. doesn't matter what. You say, and so I'm like trying to get out of this one, and I'm like, babe, uh, you know, what's wrong with the dress you have on now? And she's like, oh, I don't know, and she's like tugging on it a little bit. She goes, I think I look fat, and I'm like, that's impossible. You can't look fat. You're, you're 10 weeks pregnant. You can't look fat. People know. She's like, that's the problem. I'm 10 weeks pregnant. I look fat. I don't look pregnant, and I'm like, oh, and so I, I keep like trying to like convince her that she's fine and she's still holding. But look at, but look at this one. What do you think about this one? I'm like, well, honey, just try it on. Just put it on. And she didn't say a word to me. She turns around, walks into the room and she doesn't slam the door, but it shut a little louder than it usually does. And see, she didn't want to hear what I was going to tell her. And that's the way that, that we want a lot of relationships. We ask our friends a question and we just want them to tell us what we want to hear. See, if, if we really want to succeed in living holy lives, we need to find friends that are going to hold us accountable to God, accountable to the Word of God. And you know how you find friends that will keep you accountable? Is find friends that you can count on. It's real easy. Someone that's going to keep you accountable, someone that you can count on to tell you the truth. Someone who, when they see you playing around with fire, when they see you getting ready to hurt yourself or make a decision that you're going to regret, that they disregard the fact that you may get insulted for a moment and that they take your friendship and their love for you to a greater extent and they say, hey, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? That's what a real friend does. They don't care that you may get mad at them because we don't like to be told we're doing something wrong. I don't like to be told that I'm doing something wrong, but a friend that will keep you accountable, a God-fearing person, will disregard your feelings for the moment and think about your family. And they're going to think about your future. They're going to think about maybe the conversations that you had before when you said, man, I really want to follow God. I really want to begin to live a life that's worthy of calling myself a Christian. They're going to remember that and say, he doesn't really want to be doing that. He doesn't really want to be going to that place. He doesn't really want to be watching those things. He doesn't want to be drinking that or doing whatever it is that you're doing. And they will keep you accountable to God regardless of what the cost is. But, but we don't do that. What we do is we surround ourselves with 
people that I'd like to call spiritual vampires. All right? And that's what they do. You begin to live life the way that you want to live. You're, you're, you're obeying God. And then you hang out with the people that you used to hang out with before. And what do they do? They pull you away from the Lord. Right when you just got your life back on track, these friends at all. The thing is, Mark, I've known these people forever. You know? And you've known them forever. And what were you doing before you met God? How were you living before? And they take you back to the place where you once were. See, I, a lot of people come up to me and say, Pastor Mark, it's hard to be a Christian. And you know what? It is. It is hard to be a Christian. But my first question that I ask them is, where are you hanging out? It's so hard. Where is it that you're hanging out? Are you hanging out in the vineyard? Are you hanging out with the Philistines? Are you hanging out in Timnah? Are you partying like a rock star? Are you partying like a Samson? I'm going to trademark that little line. Are you partying? Is, is that why it's hard? Because you want to do whatever it is you want to do, go wherever it is that you want to go, and you still want to honor God the way, that's the way Samson lived his life. Doing whatever he wanted whenever he wanted. Partying like a, a rock star. See, if, if those friends that they're super close, they've always been there for you, if they were real friends, and you've told them at some point that you wanted to follow God, that you wanted to change your life, that you wanted to maybe stop doing those things that you were doing before, get away from a bad habit. You know, if they were real friends, even if they didn't believe in God, they would support you. They would say, you know what? That's good. Maybe it's not good for me, but it's good for you, and I'm going to support you. They'd probably even show up to church with you a time or two, just to encourage you, to support you in your walk. But instead, what do they do? They say little jokes about you, little funny things under their breath. You know, mock you every time you're going to make a, a good decision. Or, oh, I'm not going to go there today because, you know, I just don't want to be around that environment. That's what those supposed good friends do. You see, some of you today need to make a tough decision. You need to come to grips with the fact that these people that supposedly you can't live without, they're pulling you away from God. And you've tried over and over and over again to reach them. But the reality is that they're not really good friends. That they're pulling you away from your family. They're pulling you away from God. They're causing you to do things that you should not be doing. And what you, you need to do today is just break those relationships. Some of you, it's even deeper. It's more than a friend. It's a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You've got to break that relationship. Maybe for others of you, it's a, a business relationship. The Bible says that we should not be unequally yoked. That goes for business transactions too. You know why your business isn't going well? It's because you're unequally yoked. Obey God, cut your ties, and begin to live the life that God wants you to live. I love what Proverbs says it's on verse, in chapter 27, verse 6. The slap of a friend can be trusted to help you, but the kisses of an enemy are nothing but lies. The slap of a friend can be trusted. No one likes to get slapped. I don't like to get slapped, but the slap of a friend you could trust. But those people, a lot of the people that we keep in our inner circle, the people that are always giving us kisses that are, hey, you know, it's okay, you know, you cheated on your wife or, or you, you cheated on this or you're a big liar. It's okay, man. We all make mistakes. You know, it's all right. You can't trust those people. You cannot trust those people. The third thing that we need to do is we need to make wise choices. We need to make wise choices in our life. See, allowing God to lead us, that, that makes sense. The first thing, right? Second thing, surround ourselves with godly people. You can't argue with that. But the third thing, make wise choices. Mark, where did that come from? 
That's like from left field. You see, if you're trying to live a life that's set apart, living a life that's holy, it's not something that happens overnight. That's not something you can say, all right, I'm gonna, today I'm going to follow God and I'm going to surround myself with godly people and everything's going to be all right. You know, it's not. There's going to be tough times in your life. There are going to be times in your life when, when you're going to crack open your Bible. You're going to be going through something. You've got to make a decision. You crack, crack open your Bible and you can't find a verse that applies to the situation that you're going through. Or maybe you call up a friend or your friend's not even around. You know, they're working or they're out of town. You're your God-fearing friend. And, and you can't get them on the phone when you need to make that decision. You're like, what am I going to do? See, it comes a point in our life when we need to make choices. And we need to make sure that those choices and this journey that we're taking as Christians are wise choices. And the reason why is this is because God's wisdom is His way of protecting our life. Making wise choices is God's way of protecting your future, protecting your family, protecting your dreams. And in the moments when we don't have a specific answer, we need to ask the question, not does it feel good, not is it a sinful thing, not are people going to get mad at me, we need to ask, is this the wise thing for me to do? And you see, I'm really passionate about this question. I've preached about it at camps for like five days straight. I've, I've preached about it in, in the school districts and private schools and public schools because I believe that as followers of God, if we begin to ask that question, is this the wisest thing for me to do? We will save ourselves from heartache. We will save ourselves from pain. God wants us to have amazing lives. But the problem is that many times we are not making wise choices. The reason... I, I'm so passionate about this. Proverbs 28, 26 says this. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But he who walks wisely will be delivered. And that's how a lot of people make decisions in life. Oh, it just felt right. You know, I bought this humongous house because at the time it felt right. Or I'm with this person because, man, I just had this gut feeling. Aren't those some of the words that we use? Isn't that how we make important decisions in our life based on our feelings, based on our gut? That's how a lot of people make the big decisions in life. And you're, yeah, I've lived my life, my entire life like that. It's gone pretty good. You know what the Bible has to say about you if that's the way you live your life? You're a fool. That's what God's Word says. You see, that's how Samson lived his life. He told his parents, she looks good to me. She makes me feel good. And here's the crazy thing about Samson's story. You know why God set him apart? You know why God said, I want him to be a Nazarite. I want to use him. I, I want him to be set apart. It's because of this. It's because God wanted to bless him. Because God wanted to use him. Because God wanted Samson to be a part of what he was going to do with or without Samson. You see, God was going to defeat the Philistines regardless of Samson's involvement. See, it was God's will that Samson would defeat all the people that he defeated. Thirty here, a thousand there. But due to the fact that Samson continued to make foolish decisions, due to the fact that Samson continued to refuse to obey God, to obey the godly people around him, he robbed himself of blessings. God's will does not depend on a man or a woman. It, it'll happen with or without us. But he gives us a special opportunity to be a part of his will. I had a young guy approach me recently and say, Hey Mark, I don't know how to do the will of God. 
And we talked for a little bit. And one of the questions I asked him, is said, hey, are you involved in church? Are you still serving? And he's like, no, I'm not serving. I haven't served for a couple months. And I said, you want me to tell you something? How long has it been? A couple months? You know that we haven't closed down the church? You know that every Sunday we've had church with or without you. But God allows us to be a part of his work. God allows us to be a part of what he's doing. He's not depending on us for his will to happen. His will is going to happen without us. He made us. He made everything around us. And he creates opportunities for us to be blessed. See, whether we serve him or not, his will will be done. God's will will be done. And we have a choice to make. Are we going to live our life going by our gut, going by whatever feels right, and live a tragic life, a life that it could, could have been full of incredible blessings, of incredible happiness? Or are we going to live a life that's a complete disaster, doing whatever we want whenever we want it? You have a choice to make today. God wants to bless you. God wants you to be a part of what he's doing. God wants to heal the broken homes. God wants to heal your broken heart. God wants to free you maybe from some type of thing that you're struggling right now. See, those of you that feel like you can't really part from some of the relationships that you're in, God wants to give you the strength to do that. And God wants to bless you with incredible friends that will help you be an amazing person. But we keep holding ourselves back. People think that life isn't fair. That, oh man, nothing good ever happens to me. And many times that happens because of dumb choices that we make. Imagine what our life would be like if we began to allow God to lead us. If we really told God, God, here is my entire life. Here is everything that I'm involved with. Every single thing that's a part of me is now being led by you. I allow you, God, to lead my life. Imagine if what your life would be like if you stopped hanging out with those spiritual vampires and you allowed Christian godly people to come alongside you and help you in your walk with God. Imagine if instead of living life going by whatever feels good, you began making wise choices and feeling good for a really, really long time and not just in that moment. I want to invite you to bow your heads. And if you're here this afternoon and, and maybe you're far from God, maybe you've been living life however you want, you know what? There's hope. There is hope. Even at the end of Samson's life, God forgave him and he had hope and he's mentioned in the New Testament as one of the greats of God after everything that he did, after all his disobedience. And let me tell you that whatever you've done is far less than what he did. And God can forgive you. God can restore you. God can give you an amazing life. But God's not going to force you to do it. God's not going to force you to do anything. It's your choice today to say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. God, I'm going to invite you into my life to be a part of my life. See, there's some of you today that have probably never prayed and asked God to come into your life. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that. 
I'm going to invite the entire church to pray this prayer out loud with me. And this is between you and God. You're just telling the Lord that you're sorry and that you want to start over. You want a fresh start with God. Let's pray together. Say, Dear God, I come before you today and I say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the mistakes that I've done. I'm sorry for the sins that I've done. Forgive me. Jesus, thank you because you died for me. You forgave me. In your name I pray. Amen.